Okay, so I think we're uh, ready to go now, ladies and gentlemen. A very warm welcome to St Paul's Cathedral this afternoon for our next uh, lunchtime talk brought to you today by the Cathedral's Collections Department. Um, you'll be very aware, hopefully, that this year is the 100th anniversary of the extension of the franchise to a certain group of women, and therefore the start of the female franchise in this country. And as part of the celebrations of that fact, uh, we have been having a number of activities and events. Um, if you haven't booked onto one of our Women of Courage tours, which are available off the cathedral floor, taking in many of the uh, women who have been celebrating the cathedral, I recommend you can do that through their cathedral website. Um, we had a good talk last week about the women who were celebrated uh, or commemorated with monuments in the cathedral. And today's talk, uh, we're very lucky to have um, Fabiana Barticciotti here uh, to talk about St Paul's uh, and the movement for the automation of women. Um, obviously, uh, sort of a, uh, something that's come out of um, that original movement for female empowerment that came via the suffragettes. Um, Fabiana is the archivist at LSE who catalogued uh, the MO archive, Movement for Ordination of Women, and she promotes it at talks around the country. Um, she's a trained archivist and records manager, having uh, gained the MA at UCL, previously worked at the uh, Bexley Local Records, Local Studies Centre, and um, the Royal Ballet School and the Victoria and Albert Museum Theatre Department. I think that's correct. Yeah, yes. yeah totally good. Um, so, uh, so she's obviously a very experienced archivist and was, uh, has a lot of knowledge, particularly about this area um, of the archive. So please welcome Fabiana to the mic. Right, thank you, Simon, uh, for inviting me here and for this you know, amazing setup and to our almost packed room. <laughs> Uh, I think the sunny outside probably kept someone just running around uh, uh, some posts today. Um, so I'm very happy to be here, actually, more than happy, I can't really describe, because the, the denary of, this, of some posts was a key place uh, in the formation of MO, Movement for the Ordination of Women. So I'm going to call MO. Uh, it, some people say M-O-W, but I think it's a mouthful, so Mo, it's, it's an easier way to, to, to talk about it. So I'm honored to be here today after, I'm thinking, 28 years uh, since the, 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 the formation of this organization. So the cataloging project was financially uh, supported by Hefke uh, and the Friends of the Women, uh, Women's Library. Um, I will start my presentation with a brief overview um, uh, of the context in which MO operated and was formed. Um, then I will talk about um, a few very dedicated women for this cause. Uh, and we'll finish the presentation with some um, highlights um, and the archives uh, generally. If I have time, I have some, some images I can show, and then hopefully you can have some questions and lots of comments. I, I like them, I did. Uh, but first I want to say this. Um, we archivists, when do we start uh, a collection like this of about 200 boxes? Uh, we spend an amount of time looking after this material, uh, listing, uh, uh, organizing, throwing away, keeping some, 
uh, nurturing, reading about, getting emotional about the subject, and we become sort of experts in this, in this subject in a very short period of time. And then we catalog it, and we move on to the next project. A different subject, a whole new stakeholders, bunch of people, um, and then this thing stays in our back, the back of our mind, and we don't think much about it. Um, but then one Sunday morning, we get news like this: that our uh, the London uh, is to be a, a London bishop is to be a woman, and the reason. Uh, for many people, this is not shocking news. But when I read the I read the newspaper saying a woman has been appointed as the Bishop of London, a move that delighted campaigners for gender equality, but is likely to dismay conservatives in the church. So we think in 1979, a bunch of people created more to fight inequality in the church. And in 2018 or 17, this sort of mentality is still around, lingering on. And it's, you know, it's good news and, you know, in a, in a way I feel, I feel it's, it's still a lot of fight to do, unfortunately. Um, but then here we go. Now we're going to talk about good stuff. And he starts here, the 12th of March, 1994. Um, it's actually a day before my birthday, so I'll never forget this date in my life. Um, not, I was not born in 94, by the way, a few years before. <laughs> um, but when the first women became priests in the Church of England, uh, in Bristol, and then we have uh, ordinations throughout the country following on from that date. Right, so when we catalog an archive like this, we, or let's say I created a, a, a timeline. Perhaps it's not, I'm not an, an historian, so I can't really draw into a, from a lot of historical context, but I can look at the records and pick up dates. So the first women to be ordained was uh, Lee Tim Oi in uh, Hong Kong, in, in, I mean in the Anglican Communion in Hong Kong. By 1989, many women were ordained in many uh, provinces, but not in England. The General Synod first voted to draft the legislations in 1985 and approved it by the majority in November 1992. The movement for the ordination of women was a key campaigning organization at the time. Campaigning activities were, happy, were happening uh, from a long time. Uh, uh, motions, motions were put forward in General Synod over the decades. Um, and campaigners were active in the grassroots of the church. But the negative vote uh, in 1978, that's why I put in red there, um, triggered uh, a number of campaigners, 
supporters uh, and or and many organizations to get together and have a one a stronger voice. So there were voices in Newcastle, in London, New York, and Bristol, and discussions were taking place in isolated groups, including the Anglican group of Anglican group for the ordination of women to the historic uh, ministry of the church is a, is a long name. Basically, they, they stopped working and then they, they moved with more, they integrated with more. The Society for the Ministry of Women in the Church and, and other fields, and few others. So, as I mentioned before, it was in 1979, uh, a small group of, this, this group of people came together and created a working group. Um, and they, and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger from there. So the main more aim was to campaign for the ordination of women in the church. Their vision was to have a fully shared ministry of men and women. Some wanted more to be a bit more radical uh, or a bit more broad, having a broad, a broad aim. To, um, to have the church uh, a place uh, to create, uh, the church to create opportunities for new patterns of liturgy um, and even form a Christian, a bigger Christian community there with women and in the center, not in the center, but as part of it equally. So, Mo, uh, the main operations of Mo took place centrally in, in Napier Hall. Uh, by Westminster Abbey, and a secretary or two were in place uh, at times. And imagine they were operating with letters, correspondence, fax, telegraphs, um, memos. There was no internet, um, there was no smartphones, um, and lots of photocopies, lots of them. Um, they also have uh, a moderator in place and ex executive committees, a central council of representatives from all the dioceses in the country, and subcommittees, uh, including the literature group, the press and media group, general synod liaisons, magazine editor, or an editorial team, depending on the time, and a radical group. They have branches in all dioceses. Some were more active than others. Um, some have to, to kind of, they, they didn't have a welcome set up because their main priests didn't welcome the idea of uh, women become priests. So it was very diverse, um, the campaign throughout the country. And the membership started with a membership list of 100 in 1979, and then, as you see, 10,000 in 1994. And the members were all sorts of, uh, it, was, it was a very broad of profile. Men, women, churchgoers, broader, uh, broader audience um, from other countries, um, all sorts of denominations, not only the Church of England, but all Catholics and other, and other ones. So, um, and we have this recorded in our membership papers.
Now, I think um, I'm going to move on to talk about some women uh, that were involved. You can imagine with a campaign like this for, for more than a decade, there were many, many, many names I could add here. And um, I, I even thought, is it fair to flag up just a few? Um, but the point is, with any campaigns, there's always key people that bring other together. And I think these are some of them. There are men as well as part of this list uh, of many people involved in, 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 as campaigners, but um, I think it's fair because of this year's celebration of women, I think it's fair to talk about a few of them. Um, and they are no order or of priority, importance or anyone, it's just a few names that prop up in their archives and I'm sure there are more names beyond what we can see in their archives. So um, I want to, to make a record here that this is just a, a really, really, is the ice, is the tip of the iceberg, really. But I'm going to go on and talk about one of the, the women that I think were key and is very relevant to this place. So um, Margaret Webster, for, for, those, for who doesn't know her, she wrote this book. It's called A New Strength, A New Song. And she, she gives a very personal testimony of the fight for this campaign and beyond that. She wrote it in 1994 just to show how inside of the campaign she was. She was commissioned this because of her influence, her expertise uh, and her um, perhaps approachness, you know, likability, as you can see in the photo. I think a lot of people talk to, about her like this. I haven't met her, so I can't say as a, per, uh, uh, you know, in a personal experience. Um, but she was a very key person for the success of this organization. Uh, her husband was dean at St. Paul's at the time, Mo was formed, and both of them were a very good, they, they hosted events, they brought people together and I think that is, is key for campaign uh, uh, organizations like this. Um, as I said before, uh, key people bring people together and certainly Margaret Webster did that. Uh, she served in the formation work group. She was instrumental to get, and we have the letters, she was instrumental to get the head office in Napier Hall. She then moved on to be a secretary for many years. Uh, she was very active locally with the dioceses of London. And uh, she hosted events, she sent letters, she was organizing videos, she was, you name it, she was there, I tell you. Um, and when the archive came to the, the women's library, and I tell you that later, we have papers direct from her. So she kept her papers and she donated that to the archives. Um, so she was a truly believer throughout her life. My next key person is named Christian Howard. Um, obviously at the time she was not a Dane, but she, uh, as far as I understand, she got her Danehood because of her work in the, for the, the movement for the ordination of women, or the ordination of women generally. So, um, Christian Howard, uh, 
appears to have been debating the role of women in the church since her early teachings in the 1940s. Um, she was a founding member of the MO. She concentrated her major efforts uh, on the synodical process to secure the necessary legislation. Because she was, uh, she was part of the General Synod, she knew, she knew the politics, let's put it like that. In 1972, she wrote a report for General Synod entitled The Ordination of Women to Priesthood, which was commissioned by the Synod, by the Church, just to show how respected she was in the Church. She earned the Lambeth Diploma in Theology, was appointed a lay canon provincial of York minister, served, served in General Synod between 1970-85, was a delegate to the World Council of Church in 1961 and 1968, uh, and was appointed to the Faith of Order Commission of the WCC and served uh, as the first women vice moderator. Now, it sounds very boring to read this out loud, but, you know, again, she was, she was someone that campaigned for the women to, to having equality rights in the, in the church, and she started in the 1940s, so it just shows, when we talk about MLW and this archive, or archive work, you know, our, our, our institutional archives, let's say, it's from 79 to 1994, we're just talking about the last years of campaigning. So, I always get this question, how come the LSE library holds uh, SMOW, which is the name, the reference name for these archives? So, uh, MOW MO, was uh, deposited into the Women's Library as an outright gift in 15 accessions, which means like different, in, in, in a few years, People came with boxes and said, that's for you, thank you very much. We take it and then we process. That's what happened over a few years. Um, then the Women's Library in 2012-2013 was acquired, the whole collection was acquired by LSE. The Women's Library belonged to, to another uh, institution who couldn't run the library, so LSE stepped up and bought the entire collection. So we acquire, as part of all the collections that of the Women's Library, we acquire the uh, MO as well. Now, it doesn't seem like an obvious place for the Women's Library to be, but if I just, just say that, the LSE archives holds a lot of papers, uh, has part of their collection policy is to, is, is to do with campaigning organizations, equality um, of women, men, of uh, gays and other, and other groups, minority groups. So it seems to me that it, having women um, theme within all these you know, other teams is just makes sense to us. Um, and I will go on and say that when we look at the other materials that are related to Mo in the Women's Library collection, NLSE collection, so you have all these institutional uh, papers, and then we also have 
in the library, this is the archival material, and then you have in the library, you have printed material that add to the story. We also have a huge number of archives to do with suffrage movement and diseases, as Simon mentioned before. It's just, it just makes uh, this collection richer and richer in, in the area of equality. We also hold the whole Carpenter Archives, um, which specialize in gay, uh, LGBT um, uh, movement. And very recently, we we catalog uh, the gay Christian movement, formerly the LG, well, the LGCM, but formerly gay Christian movement. So I think Mo is in the right place, and I'm very proud that it's there and that I cataloged it. So what is it, what what is in there? So we have the material. Is now it's about a uh, hundred boxes. Uh, it most cover uh, from the 70s to 94, from the formation to the termination. Um, when they terminated, when Mo terminated in 1994, they decided to terminate as Mo. They donated their papers to the Women's Library. Um, then a, a, a number of people in Mo, uh, you probably you are aware that they move on and they formed Watch women uh, and the church, uh, which is a, a group that is still going on and strong. They, they campaign for women to become bishop and many other themes. So there is a link here between what happened in 94 but what's happening now. So the series of archi the archive material in this archive is the papers of formation, the AGM papers, and you know more administrative papers, financial papers. We have lots of material from the events and campaigns, publications, mailing, press releases. I like the memorabilia. Memorabilia is always fun to look at, to touch, to look, to put on display. Uh, published materials, as I said, and lots and lots of published materials. They commission a lot of material, pamphlets, booklets, books, um, and they are part of the, the archive. But my highlights are these. So, and they are highlights for a number of, of research potential. So when you talk about papers of formation, they, they tell the story how it was formed who was behind it, where, who brought this together. We have correspondence, we have memos, we have the list of the members, uh, we have some letters saying, no, thank you, I don't want to get involved. So it's all very, sometimes, very juicy letters. Uh, the papers of annual general meetings, the AGMs, they always offer a, a skeleton of, of the institution. What happened behind the scenes? What decisions were, take, were taken? Who were involved in these decisions? So then another one is the mailing and circulars. Because you know, it's a way that you communicate regularly with your community. So it, you know, it gives that, that, that sense of what's going on. But beyond the formal, the formal of the AGM, the formalities of the AGMs, 
events organized by Mo, those are very, very interesting ones because a lot of services or videos or, or things that uh, brought people together and who spoke on this, uh, the themes that were discussed. Um, and where the places that this 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 place uh, these discussions were taken, uh, the photographs obviously photographs are always good to look at because it give it gives a, a a fun you know it gives fun to look at and see the people behind this uh, or the events and, and, and um, the themes the colors although some some of photographs are black and white. The papers of local branches are a good one because it does does it does shows what was going on in the in the grassroots in the local um, areas. But mind you, um, archives survive; they are created and they survive. Some comes to archives, some material doesn't. So if a diocese has lots of records and others don't, it doesn't mean that the ones with less archival material didn't work locally, but maybe they didn't keep their records and they didn't donate. So it's always, it's, you know, you have to, you have to look at these things with, um, understand how archives work. Um, and the original or copies of responses from MPs, because obviously to, one thing was to get the vote in General Synod, which is the church assembly, but then the motion had to, the, the the measure had to go on to uh, the House of Par the Houses of Parliament and get their approval as well. Um, now this is my this is how can I say it's it's probably one of the juiciest highlights I can give you because <laughs> some MPs were very sympathetic. Very nice letters to read. Um, some were very basic. Oh yes, thank you for for contacting me. I'm gonna vote in favor. I think uh, the church is the person is, is the institution to uh, to to think about their own problems, issues. So I have no problem about that. But some MPs were absolutely against it, and so these letters show. And so I brought an example of two. So we have John. I mean, if you were around at that time, these two names probably are not um, are not you're, you're not surprised. So John Gummer was uh, very opposed to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think you can read. Can you read? Or yeah. So he goes on and say. Uh, as you are aware, I'm strongly opposed to the measure. <laughs> I mean, after that, you don't need to keep reading. You know, it's just going to, to say, you know, I'm really against it. And then the next letter is Simon Hughes. Uh, he was sympathetic. And, and he also, both of them were part of the ecclesiastical committee who looked after the measure inside of the House of, the House of Parliament. Um, uh, and uh, he goes, you know, saying, as a, pract as a practicing Anglican, I have long been a supporter of the, prop the proposition that women should be able to take up their calling. So, you know, you can see that he's, uh, he's, he's, a, he's an adorable person within the mob. <laughs> 
And the reason we have these letters, or sometimes copies, because the members were um, urged by Mo, by the central office, to send letters to their MPs, ask, well, urging them to vote in favor of the management. Uh, so that's why we have sometimes the same letter addressed to different people. Obviously, the MPs didn't buy every single letter. We we are aware that you know the secretary wrote them. Uh, but sometimes have even one more uh, um, uh, copy of the, the same content, let's say. Okay, so well, that was an excellent talk with a great survey of the period uh, and interesting to see all those resources as well for anybody who's interested in pursuing it further and going to LSE and calling up the original material. Um, really good to see the cartoons, which are still very entertaining now in retrospect. Um, and all the other things there too. We do have some archive material put out at the back of the room for people to see from the St Paul's archive, just a small amount uh, before you go. And Fabiana has also brought some goodie bags, which look like this, which you can also pick up in the back room afterwards. Um, so there it is. But uh, I'd like to thank Fabiana very much for giving an excellent talk and for fielding those questions. So please give her a round of applause.